Well, through the mod- you may be wondering, like last week, why I'm not wearing a mask at this moment, and also why I have a different haircut. It's because, once again, to the miracle of technology, uh, we're recording this sermon separate from the music that we have worshipped with. So thus, it's just me and Jamie and, and, and I think Kate somewhere around here, all away from me, uh, nowhere near me, so I feel safe preaching without the mask on in this facility at this time. But we do encourage you to continue to wear your mask and uh, listen to our experts in the state, in the like Dr. Dobbs, and uh, follow their sound advice in this season. Uh, and also, I have a haircut, so I'm much more aerodynamic now, which is important when you're preaching. Our uh, text today, we're going to be finishing up First John after many weeks in First John together. We're going to be finishing up First um, John uh, by reading all of chapter five together. So I invite you to read along with me, where John writes these words. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and the blood and blood, Jesus Christ. Not, on, not with water only, but with water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has testified to his Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And this is the testimony. God gave his eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the boldness we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask him. If you see your sister or brother committing what is not a mortal sin, you will ask, and God will give life to such a one, to to those whose sin is not mortal. If there is a sin that is mortal, I do not say to you that I do not say that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not mortal. We know that those who are born of God do not sin, but those who but, but the one who was born of God protects them, and the evil one does not touch them. We know that we are God's children, and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and given us to understanding that we may know what is true. We who are in him who is true, his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage today has a lot of things that are interesting to think about and honestly a little bit confusing. I would invite you, um, if you've not done so, to join our Rooted in Christ plan as we unpack a lot of 1 John this past week. You can go back and visit our website, stm-umc.org rooted, and read a lot of my thoughts on the things 
dealing with the sins he talks about here, that has a lot to do with, honestly, with our ability to confess or not confess our sins. And that determines a lot of the, the language he talks of was sin there and how we harden our heart. And likewise, the testimonies. Really, it's him talking about the forgiveness of Christ through the cross as well as baptism, signifying blood and water. So I know the, this passage is a little interesting, a little confusing at times, but so I would invite you to go back and read our Rooted in Christ commentaries we sent out this week. I think it'll give some clarity uh, to this passage. But I always think of something um, Dr. Bryson used to tell us at MC. He always said, uh, Jesus isn't hard to understand. Jesus is just hard to follow. There's a lot of stuff in this passage here that could really confuse us and could really kind of make us wonder around not really understanding what the greater point is. And I want to kind of put all that off to the side. I would encourage you to go read The Rooted in Christ from this week because it really digs into some of this. But what I really want to focus on today is something that's pretty easy to see and pretty easy to understand. I really don't believe God's going to hold us accountable for that we don't understand. I believe in many ways he'll hold us accountable for what we do understand and then what we do with it. So today I want to focus on something that's kind of easy to understand in this passage. It says here that, uh, that uh, those who believe in the Son of God have a testimony in their hearts. There's that old Easter hymn we sing throughout the year in the church. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I was thinking about my faith as I read this passage today and thinking about my journey of faith and what I've learned and how I've grown. And, but I, I was thinking a lot about how, how my faith, particularly my deep commitment to Christ, was birthed. And for me, whenever my faith was really given birth through the Holy Spirit, I can, I can explain a lot. I, like, I can't explain a lot of what happened, but I can pinpoint some things that happened. I just know at the moment whenever I fully decided to give my life to Christ, I felt something within me change. The big fancy theological word, the seminary word, is it was an ontological change, that my very being was changed. Uh, the way we put it in Bogachet is my innards were changed. Something changed deep within me. And whenever I gave my life to Christ, whenever I fully allowed the Holy Spirit to have access over all of me, I felt something. I felt a peace come across me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. I just was a different person and I felt something deeply change within me. I felt that in the moment of my conversion. But I felt that other times. I mean, that's not the only experience I had with the Holy Spirit where I felt something like that. I felt something like that when I, if any of you have ever, ever done one of the renewal events, like a walk to Emmaus or a Curcio. I'm not going to give away all the exciting things that happen within it. But for those of you who have done one of those, you know there are moments within that weekend where you feel something deep and powerful. And you experience God's love in a deep and powerful way. Now, I've shared with you a few months back about, a, about an experience I had with a friend of mine. One moment where I was at my wit's end and I was in need of a friend and in need of community. And I called a friend of mine who's a clergy person and he met me. And we had communion together. And in that moment with us sitting knee to knee, basically, and him hearing my struggles and him serving me the body and blood, I felt the real presence of Christ present with us in that moment. There are moments in my life where I have, know, I have known that I believe in the Son of God and have that testimony in my heart because it is a powerful feeling. It is a powerful expression. It's something that I can't put into words. As a man of science, as a man of rationality, I hope, 
I like to be able to explain things. But there have been moments with Jesus Christ in my life that I simply cannot explain. But here's the thing. There's been other moments that have nothing to do with Jesus that I felt pretty good too. I, I tell people, outside of like all the important things in my life, like family and faith and things like that, one of the highlights of my life, I apologize to LSU fans, was being in the stands that Ole Miss LSU game years ago where Les Miles couldn't run a play clock and LSU lost the game on like our seven-yard line. And that was one of the most raucous, insane experiences I've ever lived through. I sat next to the student section, and if you have never sat next to the student section in a college football experience, then you really have missed out on one of life's, I was going to say joys, I don't know if joy is the right word, experiences, shall we say, that... That, that had nothing to do with Jesus, but it was pretty awesome. We've all had moments in our life that aren't scriptural or, or biblical or, or spiritual in any way, but that are amazing and that we feel the, 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 the hair on the back of our neck raised. Um, I, you know, you know my deep and utter disdain for the musical cats. I think it's terrible. And if my wife ever doubts my love for her, I'll watch that movie with her. So she must know I love her now. But man, when Jennifer Hudson hits that note in memories, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I feel that. In our life, we all feel certain things, don't we? So the scripture says here, the scripture says here, that those who believe in the Son of God have that testimony in their hearts. How do I know if that thing I'm experiencing is the movement of the Holy Spirit or just my joy at Les Miles' inability to understand how a clock works? Both of which things bring me great joy, to be honest with you. A couple things. First, though, I, I want to say this. I do think sometimes in our life we draw too much, too firm a line between what the sacred and the profane. I don't mean profane in an obscene way, but profane, sacred meaning things that are holy and profane meaning things that are just regular and ordinary. And the Bible says in James that all good gifts come from the Father above. So I believe if it's in your life and it's good, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. So I believe that the gift of music Christian or secular. If it gives you joy, it's a, it's a gift of God. I, I believe that gifts of family and gifts of friendship and gifts of good movies or books or good food, these things are gifts from God. They are good. The Bible says all good things come from above. If it's in your life and it gives you that experience of joy, that's a good thing. And that's God's gift of love to you. So I do want to... I do want to say that sometimes I do think we draw that line because the Bible also says that our ultimate act of worship is a transformed life. So as much as I want to be in this place right now where I'm alone preaching to a camera, as much as I want to be in this place with you right now, deep in the core of my being, I do know that this is not the only expression of our worship. That all of our life is a gift of worship to God. Every aspect. I do know that. So, so 
we can experience God in these ways. So that's one thing. But I, th- I, think the, I think the more important thing I want you to hear is this. The way that we know that these experiences that we have are moved for the Spirit and not just that pizza I ate last night is the fact, like I told you recently, our life is an open book test. Our life is an open book test. We get to walk through our life. We get to experience our life, not with our notes hidden under our desk or not with the books tucked away in the locker, but we get to experience life with our book wide open. And so the way we know with these experiences that we experience are of God is we match them up with what Scripture tells us. One of the best things I ever heard was at a a camp meeting years ago, uh, the preacher said one time, he said, we will never understand God's unknown will for our life if we do not know his known will for our life. And the way we understand God's known will for our life is we test it against Scripture. And what does Scripture say? The Bible, remember, John said, we test the spirits. One of the ways we test the spirits is we match them up against God's known will. We match them up against God's word. And so, so that experience I had where I felt God changed my heart, where I felt God changed me when I gave my life to him completely, the Bible says that in Christ we are a new creation. That's what it says. So the experience I felt where I, where I experienced a change in my attitude and spirit and mentality and everything that I had, that moment matches up exactly with what Scripture tells us that our conversion can be like. It says that we are a new creation in Christ. And sometimes for some of us, for some of us, that new creation experience happens instantly. There are some of y'all that experienced God, and it was an instant change in that moment. Praise Jesus. There are others that new creation experience has taken many years. And it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing. I don't think there's a right or wrong. We all have different experiences with the Holy Spirit and with Christ. But that notion of seeing our life change and us becoming a different person matches up perfectly with what Scripture tells us. Those Emmaus experiences where I felt myself overwhelmed with the love of God and overwhelmed by his, by his compassion and mercy matches up perfectly with 1 John where it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It matches up perfectly with what we're told where it says, oh, what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. So I see that these experiences that I have match up perfectly with what Scripture tells us it will be like. That moment when I met my friend and, and in this moment of pain and hurt and anguish, he gave me communion. And in that moment, I experienced the real presence of Christ, which just like Emmaus, when these disciples were overwhelmed and broken and afraid and scared. And there in Emmaus, Christ, it says, through the breaking of bread, their eyes were opened and they saw that Christ was with them. In the same way, when I received communion from my friend in this moment, my eyes were opened and I knew that no matter how afraid I was, Christ was with me and he would not forsake me and he would not abandon me. That experience matches up perfectly with what Scripture tells us. The testimony of God that we see here in 1 John is confirmed when it matches up with what our open book tells us.
John tells us to test the spirits. The way we test them is by we we match them up with God's word. And I think the ultimate way we test them is this. Do these experiences produce the fruit of the spirit in our life? My daddy, um, we, I've shared with you before that we, uh, we always grew corn and butter beans and things like that. My daddy wanted to always have an orchard. I don't really know why, but he wanted an orchard. So every few years, he'd go off to town. He'd buy some trees, buy some pear trees or some plum trees, apple trees, orange trees. We'd try all kinds of trees. He wanted an orchard so bad he couldn't stand it. So we, every, every few years, we'd, 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 buy, we'd buy trees. And uh, one year we thought maybe they, were, and they, they, they never grew. Never, ever, ever grew. We never, never, never grew. I think we may have one or two plums and that was it. So we decided, <laughs> he decided, okay. The problem is we don't have any bees to pollinate them. So he decided he wouldn't have bees. So we bought bees for a season. We, we basically, if you can ever own it, we outdoorsy, we've tried to own it and usually it didn't work right. <laughs> Story of my life. But he wanted these trees to work so bad. They wanted to work so bad. And they never would produce any fruit. And so I'd go outside sometimes, look at them, and, I, and I'm, I'm a dummy. I don't know anything about trees. Of all the classes I took in my life, I hated botany more than anything else. If you're a botanist, I apologize, but I just do not find your profession interesting. I just don't. I, I can't tell you the difference between any tree. I don't know what the trees are. I don't know. They're trees. They have leaves. Don't eat them. Don't fall off them. That's what I know. Okay? So I'd go out there, and now I could tell you an apple tree if it has an apple on it. I can tell you that. I can tell you an orange tree if it has an orange on it. But beyond that, I got nothing. So I'd go outside and look at the trees my daddy planted, and I couldn't tell you hide and hair what it was. I didn't have any clue because I didn't know what the tree was. I had to look for the fruit to tell if it was the tree or not. So I don't even know what all kind of trees we had because they never produced anything. So I didn't know what we had. I just knew we had trees. Without the fruit, I couldn't tell what they were. Spirit produces fruit in our life. Without the fruit... can't tell a Christian from a lost person, can you? Without the fruit, we all look the same, don't we? A tree's a tree. A person's a person. But it's the fruit that distinguishes the tree. And it's the fruit that distinguishes the person. So as we're testing the spirits, and as we're testing the experiences and these testimonies, the greatest test we can run for our testimonies here is what fruit do they produce? And the Bible tells us the greatest gift, what James calls the royal law, is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The Old and New Testament tell us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. As Jesus tells us, the law in Old Testament hinge upon this. I often say this is the distilled version of the entire Old Testament. To love God fully and love our neighbor fully is what the law is ultimately teaching us. If you boil down the Ten Commandments, they can be summed up in the love God, love neighbor. If you love God, you're going to keep the Sabbath day. If you love God, you're not going to take a time in vain. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder your neighbor. You're not going to lie against your neighbor. You're not going to covet from your neighbor. If you love God and love neighbor... That's the totality of the law in that moment. So, these experiences and testimonies, 
do they spur us to love God more? They spur us to love our neighbor more, which is the point of holiness. Holiness is being made like Christ. And for Christ, the fulfillment of his teaching through what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, through all of his teaching, is that we love God with every ounce of our being, that there's not a single area of our life that we withhold from God. And that we love our neighbor with all that we are. There's not a single ounce of our life that we withhold from loving our neighbor. If I have an experience with God and it doesn't match up with Scripture, and it doesn't produce the holiness and the fruit in my life, then I need to question, was that really of God? Or is that just less miles, not me, ever run a play clock? Or is that just a bad batch of pizza? We have to test it. The testimony of God in our hearts is how we know these things. Right now, we feel these pressures from all around us in an age of great fear and certainty and anxiety. And quite often, we're driven more by our fears, legitimate as they are. I'm afraid of snakes because snakes will bite you. I mean, I'm not afraid of snakes because they look funny. I'm afraid of snake because a snake will bite your nose off, man. We have a lot of fears right now, don't we? I do. Maybe it's just me, but I do. And it's so easy at this moment to be driven more by our fears or our doubts or our anxieties or our worries than to be driven by the testimony of God in our heart be driven by what Scripture teaches us and to be driven by what the Spirit confirms in us through His grace, which is to love God and love neighbor. What's driving you this morning? What's driving you this morning? Is it a rational fear? Is it worries? Is it legitimate fears? Are we being driven by the testimony of God in our heart? By the teachings of Scripture and by the holiness it produces. The last words attributed to John Wesley upon his death was this. Best of all, God is with us. Yeah, that's true today. Best of all, God is with us. I'm a different person because of the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm a different person because of going to Emmaus. I'm a different person because of the sharing of communion with my friend. These moments have changed my heart and have been the witness to God's presence in my life. What are those moments for you? What are those moments for you? Best of all, God is with us. Today, may we be driven by that testimony of God in our hearts. May we be given, driven by his grace, by his love. And may that be the cornerstone of all that we are. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what foes may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice so clear. 
Just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. May that be our testimony today. Let's pray.